minutes, 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Copy on uh, weed transfer. Okay, so it's recording. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, let's start before it uh, breaks down again. It's, it's Grand Cameron, and uh, welcome wherever you are in the world. Morning, noon, evening, wherever you are. Uh, I'm with a sp- special guest, Terry Tibando, right uh, from Vancouver, and we're going to talk UFOs today. We had a little bit of uh, problems with uh, it on my end. But uh, Terry's taping it, and so we should be good to go. Welcome. Good morning, Terry. Sorry for all the confusion. We're 15 minutes late here, but we can s- still uh, get going and talk about some UFO stuff. How are you doing today? Doing very good, and thank you very much for uh, having me as your guest. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I, I really wanted to talk to you, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, even though we may only be, be doing this for an hour or less, uh, we can perhaps do it again a- another time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, wonderful. So let's let's start at the beginning and uh, give me your background on UFOs and how you got into it and where you're heading. Yeah, well, uh, my uh, experiences with the UFO phenomena and with DET uh, began back in 1953. Uh, I was a five-year-old child. My father was living on, um, we were, he was in the Air Force and we were moving from one location to another as most military servicemen do. And we got transferred from Victoria, originally where I was born, to North Bay, Ontario, and then to St. Jean's, Quebec. And it was at St. Jean's, Quebec, living on the military housing of the base, that uh, my... uh, Mother and I had actually gone out for a walk, uh, taking my younger brother for uh, a stroll in his uh, baby carriage. And we were walking along uh, the uh, street and it was on the base. And I remember looking up and seeing what I thought was a Mexican sombrero hat moving over the top of the building. And this was probably within 500 feet or so. And I said to my mother, what's that? And she looked at it and she really didn't know what it was. And I think she said, well, it's it's probably an airplane. Now, I remember that this thing kind of tilted and wobbled a little bit. And then it took off after she said it. I thought it it was an airplane. So what I remember of that, it was it was a typical disc, dark underneath, light on the top with a dome. It flew off, and we were just both perplexed by what we saw. But in my mind, uh, because my father was in the Royal Canadian Air Force, it was just another airplane, mm-hmm. different type, but that's what it was. Within a few days, I think, of that sighting, I had ETs come into my bedroom. Now, oh. people would describe this as the little grades. I don't use that term. Uh, I mean, I will use it in the context of trying to give uh, some familiarity to other people because that's what they're used to hearing. To me, they resembled little men and they resembled what I thought were Casper the ghosts. And there was three of them. And they would come right through the wall. And it's so 
perplexed and frightened me that I called out for my mother. The mother. So this was in the uh, evening, and I was something had woken me up, and I was looking at the wall, and then I saw these, what I thought was an apparition of some kind. So can you see through these beings? I mean, no, you couldn't see them. They were solid, as solid as I'm looking at you. Okay. Okay. But the, but you did you didn't think they were grays? They were more like little people. Did they have clothes on? No, they didn't have any clothes on. Uh, they were bright and luminous. Uh, they had larger eyes, but eyes very similar to ours. Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, I had arms, uh, legs, body, that sort of thing. I didn't look at whether or not they had five fingers and five toes yeah. or whatever. The thing about this is that uh, I called to my mother in a panic. She came. She said, what's going on? I said, there's little men behind the bedroom door. And so she went and checked, and there's nothing there. Okay. So um, I said to her, well, you know, they're there. They're like little men or little ghosts. And she said, I think you're having a nightmare. So she calms me down, and she leaves the room. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe I am having a nightmare. And there they are again. And, you know, parts of, of their bodies are coming through the wall. And now I'm freaking out because it's not my imagination. I'm not dreaming. This is real. Again, I call her in. She said, you're woking up the whole house. <laughs> and it, it was interesting that my brother slept in a, a bed beside my bed. And okay. then the, my youngest uh, brother was in a baby crib. He was only about a year old. Okay. So my mother comes in and she says, uh, okay, what, what's going on? I said, they're back. Go and check again. And she checks. They're not there. And I, I'm really sort of confused, but I'm, I'm very panicky. She spends about 10 minutes calming me down. And she says, Christmas is coming up. Think about Christmas and the, and the presents you're going to get. And let that be your dream. So I thought, okay, I, I could do that, I guess. And she said, no more carry on, no more crying or whatever. So she leaves the room, and damn, they're back again. This time they're walking around the bottom of the bed, and they're coming up. So in my uh, five-year-old mind, my thinking was, I'll pull the covers over my head. If I don't see them, they can't see me. They're not there. Okay, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, I fall asleep, but something in the back of my mind said that the covers came off me. Now, I have no other memory beyond that point. In the morning, my brother was teasing me, saying you had a nightmare. He didn't see anything. My mother th thought the same thing. That was my first introduction to the world of UFOs and extraterrestrials. Now, one of the things that I've recognizes that when children have a somewhat traumatic experience, they would start to draw pictures of what they have related to. I was drawing pictures of stars, planets, rockets, that sort of thing. Okay. So it was sort of embedded in my mind. And then as I got older, I had UFO sightings. Uh, we went back to Victoria uh, after going to England and then back. Um, and the thing about that is I've seen them in UFO, uh, UFOs in uh, Victoria flying close to the home or over the home or off in the distance. Um, and up to uh, uh, around 1995, I had uh, led a group of people out using the C-30, C-5 protocols. And okay. I've been doing that for 30 years. And we have had sightings and we've had ET contact. So they will come in to the area and start to interact with us on some level. And people will see the things flying around up in high orbit or zigzagging, brightening up. Um, other times we get different odors and fragrances in the environment that are not associated with the environment, or we'll have a sense of presence. There could be some flashes of light around us. Uh, other times they'll come up and actually touch us. 
so that they could touch you on your hand or face. It's like rain where there's no rain, or it's like insects landing on you, but it's too cold in the evening. So you, so you don't see them, but you're, you feel them touching you. You can feel I I've had this experience uh, quite a few times uh, on different, loca- uh, different occasions and on... Uh, going down into um, Rio Rico, New Mexico, where there was about 200 of us, including Dr. Greer and a whole bunch of other people. And one came up and poked me in the forehead and I looked around and the next person is 10 feet away. So I knew that somebody, and it wasn't a person, had touched me in the forehead. Wow. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that before from Marcel. If you know Marcel was a that's photo- photography for Stephen Greer. Can I ask yeah. you a couple of questions? On, sure. Rolling back to the uh, the uh, Air Force thing. My father was Royal Canadian Air Force in '53 as well, uh, but he was stationed, I believe, probably then in uh, Ottawa and Edmonton. Uh, did your father? Did you ever tell your father that story, or what, what was your father's opinion to all this kind of stuff? Um, he. He had his own experience, and uh, I'll, I'll explain that. Uh, I don't know per se if he acknowledged the story I was telling him. I'm sure my mother had related that to him. Yeah. Back in about 1951-52, because we were living out in Victoria, he had to go back east and uh, to do some work for a few days, and he wanted to see his parents who lived in Toronto. And he said that uh, he, he flew by military uh, transport, landed at Moulton Air Force Base. When he was stepping off the ladder or the, or the ramp, he said that he saw a hangar and the hangar opened up. And he said inside was a saucer and it came out and it, 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 it stayed hovered uh, in that position. And then went straight up and then it came back down again and went back into the the hangar. Now, my thought on that was that he saw something that probably he wasn't supposed to see, even though he was in the military and that somehow the Canadian uh, air force had um, either a prototype or they had captured a UFO. Uh, we know that this was in around the time period when Avro Aero yeah, I was just going to ask you, yeah, was doing its experiments with jets and uh, different air, uh, airframe designs, etc. And they also had a uh, a spar aspect, a special access research uh, project where um, uh, they were developing saucer shaped craft like the the hovercraft or the Avro car. Which yeah, wasn't was, that in Toronto where they had the Avro car? That was, I think it was in Malton, yeah, which is just outside of Toronto. Now, the thing about this is that um, this was a prototype to see whether or not this thing would work. It was also uh, a part of proving the Conanda effect, where the uh, air would move over the surface and down as opposed to going out. And so this uh, proof of concept predated the hovercraft in Britain and where they put a skirt around the the, the device. So the, the proof was that they could do this. It would hover and it was wobbly. And the, uh, the U S air force had sponsored this uh, and paid for it. And the Canadians were doing the development on it. Now, they claimed that it never was stable, but actually they fixed the stability problem and it did move across the surface, not on even surface, but surface that was relatively flat. So the proof of concept was there. They also got into doing, um, developing a uh, rotary, uh, um, not, uh, a six jet, disc where it would fire out from all sides and they had built uh, a frame for this to test it out they were testing all kinds of things and this was part of um, uh, a program that was not known to the public i have books for, uh, on the avro arrow and on uh, spar so i know what they were talking about i've seen the model of the avro arrow that came out 
uh, to um, Abbotsford in BC here. It, it was a mock-up and it's a pretty impressive plane even for a mock-up. And it was well ahead of its time, probably two or three generations ahead of most aircraft in the world. Um, so that's part of that background history. My, my father always talked about it. And uh, he, he also had, the, he worked as a nuclear um, defense uh, person in the Air Force. And he worked in an underground uh, SAGE site in North Bay, Ontario. They had an underground complex, much like Cheyenne Mountain, and the two were connected. And uh, I've actually talked to the CEO and asked him if they are still operating. And he said, no, they went defunct a few years back and they moved the facility outside on the surface, which I thought was kind of strange because if you're going to have a nuclear strike, that will be the first place that they'll go for. So why put it out on the surface? Makes no sense. Was but that Falkenbridge? Pardon me? Was that Falkenbridge? No, this was outside of uh, North Bay. Uh, it was 10 miles uh, outside of the base uh, around Trout Lake Mountain, or Trout Lake and, and the mountain there. And it was built underneath that mountain. And then 10 miles north was the Beaumont missile site. Okay. So that gives you, there's sort of like a triangle of facilities or, or, or bases. Do you, looking back, do you think your your father's tied into you? You you hear this story in the UFO thing that it's you know it, it's generational and stuff like that. Do you think your father had some sort of um, contact in terms of you having the contact? If or was it, it did, just quint- coincidence that he happened? He, to see I this? think I think it's coincidence, but and I and I know where you're going with that because uh, I've heard the same thing. That could be generational where there's actual ET contact. The thing about this is my ET contact, if we assume they were greys, predates Barney and Betty Hills by eight years. Yeah. Uh, And nobody was talking about that at that time. They were talking about the Nordic blonde hair Venusians. Yeah, yeah. uh, And those are the contactees. So the thing about that is um, is to introduce something that's totally alien in our understanding, but still looks humanoid, uh, was beyond most people's comprehensions. Uh, To introduce somebody that looks similar to us is a possibility that that maybe there's a cosmic cousin out there who looks very much like humans and could infiltrate into any parts of the government, of the military, intelligence, et cetera, and we wouldn't know who they were. But when you introduce a different type of being. Now you, you, you're dealing with something totally unknown. However, we know that Roswell had those types of beings or something very similar to it. We still don't know the, the actual parameters and the, the xenotype of that type of ET. I know an individual who lives in Vancouver who had his own ET contact in 1942. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be getting hold of him to, uh, you know, interview him and find out more information whether the similarities, what what his experiences. So, yeah, because uh, that's was I was wondering when you described the beings, like you've seen the Betty Hills being, and that, but yours were sort of a little bit different. Like that's when I look at all the beings when people start to draw them, like. Betty Betty Hill's being looks nothing like uh, Whitley Strieber's being, and Betty Andreessen's beings. They they all call them greys, but there's it's almost like. Do you think the person has some effect on what they're seeing, or is this just different types that are running around? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I I think that uh, I was seeing with the innocence of a child's eyes. Yeah. So whatever I was seeing, that's what I was seeing. Um, they, as I said, they reminded me of Casper the Ghost. Uh, and uh, because I think at that point I had already read some comic books. Could they uh, take on that appearance? I don't know. Uh, I know that there's life throughout the universe. Yeah. I, I, I don't doubt that for a moment. And and that most, uh, and here's a, an interesting um, statement. It, it comes from the, the, the Baha'i faith. And uh, their uh, prophet, um, Baha'u'llah, said, 
Know thou that every fixed star, and by that he means stable, hath its planets, and every planet hath its creatures, whose number no man can compute. Now, what's interesting about that is, first of all, he says it's a stable star. We have a stable star. It's it's called the sun or soul. Uh, And we've got about nine planets in our solar system. That would indicate, based on that statement, there's life on all of them. Not necessarily intelligent, but there's life of some kind. It could be plant life. It could be a, um, a viral bacteria. It could be something more complex, animal life, uh, all of that. And so when we start to question that, like NASA, for instance, uh, talks about the zone of habitability. And they say it's from about Mercury out to Mars. And then they've extended it now to the moons of Jupiter and Saturn, where like Enceladus and, and a few others uh, show signs of ice and perhaps water underneath and uh, jets of water coming off the surface that have been photographed. So those are all indications that some form of atmosphere or condition is prevalent in the universe or in our solar system. And the thing is that life isn't going to be like us. We've got to get past that notion that because we're human and because we're in a nice location in the solar system, that that's the green belt or the Goldilocks zone for for life. And the reality is that life is going to appear anywhere in a solar system or star system that has a stable star. That's not in a prototype condition where it's forming. And, and the planets are also forming, there's, go, there's going to be no life at that point. If it's in a state of nova, where it's going to burn out, the, the life will probably have disappeared. So, and, and I, I know all of this because I've taken astronomy in university and math and physics and all of this. And, and these are some of the, the basic 101 of astronomy. And so, this zone of habitability that NASA uh, has first thought about has now extended out almost to Pluto. And there are signs that Pluto has an atmosphere and according to the, uh, the horizon of uh, satellite that photographed Pluto and Charon, its, its moon, that there was something leaving trails on an ice field and they thought this was a natural occurrence based on fissures opening up and material coming out of the, the surface and moving across the, uh, the, the surface of Pluto. But there are block, black blobs that seem to be on those trails. So, you know, is it life? Is it rock? We don't know at this point until we get another satellite orbiting around uh, Pluto. Uh, in in terms of the beings, is that the only time you saw the beings, or because you you realize that people see them on off and on through their life, and whether they're the same beings? And the other the second question related to that would be: Have you done regression to try to recover? I I've never done regression, and I know about it. And uh, the problem I think with my with me being regressed hypnotically is that. Uh, there's so much information I've studied over the years that my mind uh, and my information I would give out would be polluted with all this knowledge. And so what is real and what isn't is, is hard to tell. Um, I've seen other beings that are uh, not like the, the, the small uh, gray-like uh, ETs. I've seen very tall ones, probably seven feet high wearing uh cloaks dark hooded cloaks Uh, did you see the face no i couldn't see the face but (laughs) they were moving around me and i was out in the field (laughs) calling mother nature was calling me to take a pee break (laughs) and and they're they're moving around and i thought you're getting the best of humanity at that point (laughs) 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 so uh and i I remember this was my first uh, 
group session with uh, Dr. Greer and uh, about 32 other people. And we were seeing UFOs right around where we were looking. And I counted the number of UFOs. There was one for each individual. And uh, some were uh, blinking and flashing and moving around and others uh, took off and all the rest of it. And uh, we even had the military come in chasing these things around. So I've seen that happen. But what I noticed was that these were very tall beings. And I, I went back to the group and I said, you know, we've got ETs and they're moving around us. And he said, yeah, we're getting the same thing. And you could look at the group and often the distance would be some farms or something and something would move in front of the light and move around. So we knew they were around us. They, the other time uh, locally where I take out groups of people, uh, I've had uh, ETs that I think were the short ones and they showed up and I was already in bed and <laughs> I got a feeling they wanted to, to communicate. And I, I could sort of, sort of see them in a holographic form. And I said, uh, guys, I'm taking a sleep right now. <laughs> You're going to have to come back. We were out there. That was the time to contact us. Uh, but if you want to contact me in a lucid dream, that's fine. But I'm sleeping. <laughs> now, you know, we've had all kinds of strange things. Like I, I've got ETs that still hang around the house. Okay. Uh, and these are like um, amorphous blobs. And... Uh, my backyard camera, security camera, has picked them up, moving out of the wall of the house, in and around the backyard, and then back towards the house. My wow. wife, uh, one time, woke up. Uh, the, the story behind that is a friend of mine and I had gone out to do some C-City or CE5 work, and we came back, and uh, my daughter had been babysitting. Her habit was to come into her room and give us a kiss goodnight and go to bed. And she came in around one o'clock and that's what she did. Around two o'clock, my wife turns over and punches me in the arm. And I said, why did you do that? She says, it's one thing for you to go out and see ETs. Do you have to bring them home? And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> she says, I suddenly woke up and there was a face in front of my face. And it had, it was like, <gasps> and it took off. It disappeared. So. They were trying to study her and, and see whether or not, you know, she was, uh, I don't know, able to communicate with them. We've had situations where I get into bed and suddenly there's a, a bright light in the room that fills up the where the window is uh, that looks over the backyard. And the blinds are closed, but, but there's this light and it's diffused, but with some kind of bright center and i said to my wife do you see that there's a light in the bedroom and you know and, the, and we looked at it for a few seconds and then it disappeared she gets up in the middle of the night goes to the washroom comes back and she says she saw a light move underneath the bed yeah. so there's things going on now here's the thing once you start making contact the ets know where i live and i've because they're in and around every so often. I said, look, if you want to come and visit, that's fine. You can think of this as a safe home. And uh, it's up to you. If you want to stay, you can stay. If you want to come and go, that's fine. But I would like one thing to happen. Take some time to communicate with me. That's all I want. Communication. Does it happen? Does it happen? Uh, um, not, not in that sense where I'm talking to you. Yeah. Uh, I've had um, remote views and I've had various downloads of, of ETs that are very bizarre looking. Um, I've also had a ET response where I was trying to find out the name of the ET. Like uh, when I was down in Rio Rico, New Mexico, uh, Dr. Greer was telling the people that you can ask the ETs to be a guide to you. And all you have to do is go into the state of meditation and, and reach out and, and see what happens. And I remember seeing this face, which is actually on the back of my uh, 
books right yeah, up t- here. Tell me about your books once you finish the story. Tell me okay. about because you, you've written a lot of material. On oh, it. yeah. So basically, uh, it was a reptilian type face. It looked like a gecko, leopard gecko lizard, but okay. more humanoid in its face, very large reptilian eyes. And I introduced myself and said, uh, I understand I could call upon you to that you would be my guide. And uh, it acknowledged that. And, it, and I said, do you have a name? And the uh, response was HGN was his name. <laughs> and I thought that makes no sense, HGN. And I thought about it for almost a month. And I realized that perhaps the way that he gave that information telepathically was that I had to meditate upon it and understand that perhaps it's reptilian type of guttural noises. And then it made me realize that perhaps I have to pronounce the name with consonants. Horna. Horna. And so that's how I wrote about it. H-G-G-N-A. Horna. Now, you hear this all the time, that certain people will get uh, ETs that will show up and they will have a name like Bijou and, and, yeah. and all the rest of it. So, uh, and that was my one type of uh, telepathic response. Another one was I was out by myself having issues with my laser beam to try and show them where I was. And at the moment I was doing that something said to look up and i looked up and i saw a bright light move over uh where i was and the message i got was keep up the good work there you go <laughs> that's that's the only thing they've ever said to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i don't get any download of equations or uh insightful information about where they're from what they're called what they do how they eat you know all of that now, so what's the what's the bottom line now? Just to to, to go to the the quick here, to what do you what do you think they're doing in terms of showing themselves to you, and what do you think the the ultimate purpose of all these beings, and why so many beings? You hear this all the time, like it's this being and then it's this being. It's like you may be like you're a magnet, but um, sorry, I lost you there for a yeah. moment. The idea, but the the ultimate the ultimate purpose uh, that you would sort of interpret what they're actually doing. What, what what's the purpose of them interacting? You see, you'd be like a magnet that you're sort of lighting up, and they they see what's going on here, and they come over. And uh, but that's always the question of why there's no sort of really land on the White House lawn and tell us what's going on. It's like this, almost like Jim Semivan. If you've heard him, it's like yeah. he always says. They, they, they taunt you and they tease you and they bring you along, but they never take you home to meet the family. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've, I've been, I put the invitation out here. I said, look, come and show up. I'll, I'll serve you tea or goodies, <laughs> whatever. Just, just show up. And I think what it is is that they're trying to let us know that uh, we have this physicality, uh, uh, which is our bodies and everything around us. But there's more to us than just that. We're, as some people say, we're spiritual beings living a temporary physical life. Uh, and uh, another way of looking scientifically is uh, we're uh, interdimensional. And the interdimensional and the, uh, the spiritual are really saying the same thing, and that there are many different dimensions or many different spiritual worlds of existence. Um, and it's up to us to learn that. Now, they are also physical, but they're also interdimensional, and they have the technology to come um, to this planet using interdimensional travel. So they phase out of one existence or reality, move through or transition through many different um, uh, dimensions, and then pop back out into the physicality. So when we see them, we're seeing them partially physical and partially interdimensional. And this is why uh, if you were to shoot at them with uh, a missile, for instance, it would do nothing. It would go right through or it would bounce off or whatever. They have the, that type of technology. 
They're here to study us because we're at a critical time in our evolution where we're at an apex and we're very close to the top. And what will happen is we either will move forward and by moving forward, we become both a, uh, a technical and a spiritually, socially developed civilization on this planet where everybody, not just a select few, uh, are a part of it. And if we are not successful, we're going to fall back into a medieval Stone Age type of existence where we're struggling to get ourselves back up to the top. Now, I believe that this will be the time in our evolution where we will not fall back, but we will progress. We'll go through a lot of turmoil and chaos on the planet right now. And it's a test to people to start to rethink how they're going to live their life and how they're going to interact with each other. And if we are a service to each other, to our fellow man, then we're doing things in a selfless manner. And that state of condition or mind will allow us to progress because it's it's spiritual. It's, it's what all the religions have said in the past. And the, the promised day is this day. This is the time in which it is going to happen. But we are at, if we were going down a, a tunnel, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there's a lot of problems that are sort of preventing us from getting to that end point. Once we deal up that problem or those problems, then we're going to emerge into that new society, that new civilization. When we do that, the ETs are ready to welcome us into a greater community. So first of all, we have to develop a global community on this planet where everybody is enjoying their share of prosperity and health and well-being. When we can prove and interact in that manner, then that invitation will be given to us. Now, they're here studying that. They're looking at how militaristic we are, how chaotic we are, how we're damaging the Earth on each other. And if need be, if we decide to throw nuclear weapons at each other, they will intervene. You probably have heard this before, and I fully believe that will happen, but they're not going to step in and uh, solve our problems for them. That's up to you and I. Why? Because there probably is a non-interference clause in the universe where you allow every society society to develop in its own manner and its own characteristics. So when you come in and start interfering and poking around and uh, supposedly influencing, which they may have done anyways, the fact of the matter is we have to do it for ourselves. We hear the stories all the time of uh, there are certain types of ET that are here to control us and uh, manipulate our governments and our military and, uh, and on and on and on and on it goes. And there really is no proof of it. Uh, we, we heard it's reptilians, it's uh, uh, greys, it's, it's uh, insectoids and all the rest of it, which are all racist type of statements. And we've got to move past that, those appellations and start looking at them as intelligent civilizations that come from the stars. Like the, the, the native indigenous people will say uh, the star nations. And that's probably a better term. Uh, they, would prefer, they would prefer to be called extraterrestrial intelligence as opposed to alien. An alien is supposedly some illegal person coming across the border exactly. into your country, right? That's not what they are. They're here watching, monitors. They're explorers. They're anthropologists. They're spiritual uh, entities. And if you believe in a in a higher power, and I, I euphemistically call this the supreme extraterrestrial intelligence, God, who created everything. And this, regardless of what religion you belong to or what your spiritual beliefs are, if you acknowledge a higher power purpose in the, in the universe, then it created everything. And if it created everything, it probably did not create chaos. It created order, structure. 
And if we have been given the opportunity to learn socially, spiritually, uh, then other uh, civilizations out amongst the stars and the galaxies have probably received a similar type of situation where they get a prophet or a manifestation of God who shows up, gives them teachings, and then they follow them. The problem with humanity is we don't always follow them. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where our downfall is. If you take uh, the story of uh, Abraham, uh, where he had uh, Sarah, and then he had two other wives, uh, Hagar and Keturah, he said the prophets, or the the information given to Abraham was, from his lineage would come great nations, kings, and prophets. So there isn't just one prophet, many prophets. And if, uh, and that God will always be with men, and that our contract with him is to follow his teachings. Wonderful. So when we go off in a different land, we're going somewhere else. So so speak to the, the congressional thing. And I know we uh, had some ne- negotiations with people like Elizondo and Mellon and these guys, and they wanted us to follow their their protocol for how to get this through to the government where they're actually turning it into the alien the you know they're in our airspace you know over the land that we stole from the indians and you know and, and this sort of thing and the, speak to this this move in congress to try to demonize the phenomena and shift it the other way and i know greer talks about this quite a bit yeah yeah I, and uh i mean i i listen to quite a bit of what greer has to say i'd listen to People like yourself, uh, Richard Dolan, uh, a few of the other people out in the UFO community. Uh, and I've obviously had the opportunity to meet you twice, if, uh, yeah. if you remember. And the thing that I find is that uh, there is a rewrite of the UFO phenomena that's spun negatively, where it's a threat. And, you know, uh, whether you like Greer or not, whether he's egotistical or not, uh, he has valid information. When uh, David Grush and, and uh, David Favre and uh, uh, one other individual, who both, all from the Navy or, or the military, came out and said, look, uh, the U.S. has captured uh, craft and there are non-human biologics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice way of putting it. They're non-human. They're extraterrestrial. That's what they are. Now, Here's the point. They said, we've only been studying this for 12 years. Crap. That's not true. That's a big, fat lie, you know, and you can't disguise it. If you go back into history, and I'm a history buff, you go into history and you look at the time of the Germans prior to World War II, they had captured a craft that came down in Bavaria in the Black Woods, and they... uh, retrieved it and there were living beings on board and when uh during operation paperclip took place and i know i'm digressing a bit but you need to get the whole uh story here that when they had operation paperclip and 1500 nazi scientists came into the southwest of the united states they asked him how was it possible that you got so far ahead they said we had help he said help from truth from them now, that's a big cover-up. You know, when you hear about um, Maria Osik, who was a channeler, calling out and, and then getting this, perhaps they were communicating with her in some form or fashion. That's what we're doing today in remote viewing. The same thing. The Germans did it before anybody. They went out to, they had a rocket that left the Earth and photographed the Earth. Uh, they may have done other things that we're not even aware of, but they did build saucers, they did fly, and they were used during the war, towards the end of the war. And they were captured. That's why the big push to get into Berlin and all these other uh, secret military bases, to capture the technology and the scientists. Now, when you move forward, you get to a point, say, in 1951-53, where you had the Operation Mainbreeze, which was a uh, 200 uh, naval ships from uh, different nations that had worked together during the Second World War doing military exercises on the North Atlantic. And it was in preparation if 
the Russians ever decided to invade Europe. During that time, they had thousands of ships because they were aircraft carriers. They had 10,000 soldiers and sailors uh, on those ships from different countries. And they had sightings of UFOs coming out of the ocean, flying over the ships, either going back in the ocean or flying off into space. Sailors and people, personnel on those ships photographed that. And they were instructed by the various military uh, officials, admirals or whatnot, stay below the ship uh, in, the, uh, in your quarters unless you were called upon for duty. So they had to comply. But there were photographs taken. I have one of those photographs where there's a white object up in the sky and there's a, a, the mass uh, uh, or uh, control tower of the ship. And you can see this object up in the sky. Does it look like what they call a tic tac? Yeah, but this is 1951. They didn't have any UFOs of their own at that time, other than what the Germans may have built, like the Hanabu II. The point here is that that craft was probably extraterrestrial, as were all the others. It wasn't until the mid 1950s that there was a breakthrough of uh, electrogravitics and anti. Uh, uh, anti-gravity devices. They understood it, they were able to build it. Plus they understood what they had retrieved from the Roswell crash and some of the other crashes. This is what, you know, uh, uh, David Fair, uh, David Grush is, is trying to say, is that they have those. Now, to, to pretend that they didn't know about it until recently, it's just absolute nonsense. What was interesting was Dr. Greer had interviewed David Grush, but never used him on his team uh, for whatever reason, I don't know. But when he did the witness disclosure event uh, two in the uh, Washington Press Club in June 12th, he had 10 military witnesses, scientists and private contractors giving testimony. The testimony they gave was so damning uh, and so insightful that it made David Grush's uh, disclosure event look like kindergarten, uh, you know, conversation. They told about uh, neutrino uh, plants uh, in Antarctica. They talked about scalar weapons. They talked about the fact that some of the UFOs were being used for illegal activity like gun running, drug running, uh, uh, illegal human um, trafficking, all of these things. And it was witnessed even by some of the other military who weren't supposed to see it. We're talking about a 300-foot craft in Indonesia offloading or unloading all of this stuff. Now, the point behind this is that the Congress did not get the kind of information they thought they should have been getting. They got an acknowledgement, but nothing more. They didn't get details. David Grush said, yeah, if you come back uh, after uh, this is over, I'll give you the details. The fact of the matter was that he wasn't an insider. He knew about it. He's never witnessed an ET. He's never seen the crap. He knows of people that have. The military on their famous TikTok videos and all the rest of it, like, those are really poor quality <laughs> sightings. You have seen better. I have seen better. There are photographs out there much better. Why are they not contacting the general public who have all this information and have had it for probably 70, 80 years and have had all the experiences and we could correlate it all and make sense out of it? That's what my books do. I take all that information and I have tried to condense it down into six volumes. I actually wrote it as one volume, 3,600 pages plus. Wow. And I broke it up into six volumes. And the first volume, uh, which is the uh, uh, Citizens Disclosure on UFOs and ETI, and it is the global evidence of UFO, the, yeah, the global evidence of the UFO and ET presence. And then all the other ones take you deeper, deeper, and deeper into it. It's like what you often say, going down the rabbit hole. I yeah, take you yeah. so far down, you come out and say, 
my God, I don't, I didn't realize this was going on. Welcome to my world. That's what's yeah. going on. Welcome to your work. It's the same thing. Are and we so, up against them in terms of getting the message out? In terms of is there a, is there a group that's that's resistant? fighting against the message coming out? Yeah, there is. You know, don't expect the military or the uh, government or the intelligence community to say, "Yeah, we've been lying." You know, here's what's <laughs> going on. Uh, we're sorry. <laughs> just give us your money <laughs> yeah 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 so uh there is the resistance is there they have an agenda they want to carry through on it and you know i believe that a lot of this is controlled by the private industrial sector who are the wealthy corporate elite of the world there's let's just say there's a hundred million of them uh they have a an agenda and a future vision that does not include you and I. And it serves their needs. Unfortunately, that vision is so limited and so self-destructive in its own right that it can't possibly exist because most of us are waking up uh, to what's going on. And I say to people, stand up, take a position and say, we're not taking this nonsense anymore. And if need be, we'll cut your funding. We'll, we'll get rid of, decommission a lot of things that you have enjoyed. You will not be allowed to offshore anything else anymore. We will be going after your finances, just much in the same way that they tried to do with Russia. The whole point is all of us have got to get on board with the program. Otherwise, we're going to keep suffering through this uh, for the next 50 years, if we even survive on this planet for that long, because we're doing a damn good job of destroying this. So this is a planeticide, as Dr. Greer would say, that we're killing a planet, and we seem to care less about it. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a, a British TV program called Alternative 3. I've heard about it, yeah, I haven't seen it. I saw that, I, I actually recorded it, I watched it, and I believe that they're fulfilling that uh, that statement uh, or, or agenda. Underground facilities, uh, secret uh, space program, uh, all kinds of other things that basically are for the wealthy corporate elite to survive should the worst case scenario uh, encompass us. Yeah. So, are you, are you optimistic in terms of? Where we're yeah. getting, or do you think like Greer and, and company and, and people like you and all the C and how many C five groups do you think there are around in the world or that, oh, that are um, operational? I I've communicated with people in Japan and in Israel. I know they are in Britain and um, Germany a lot throughout Europe. I think even in China, there's groups of people doing this. Uh, whether they're uh, doing it for themselves or for their own uh, government or military, I don't know. I would say there's a few thousand anyways. Uh, I, I don't have the numbers on that. Yeah. The, the whole point is that the CE5 Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind is a human-initiated program where meditation, high-powered lights and lasers, and some audio recording, usually of, of some ET beeps and tones, is uh, sent back or broadcast back into space. I've also coined, and this is interesting uh, for your listenership, two new CE in close encounters, CE6 and a CE7. The CE6 is you have to be an astronaut or cosmonaut, which okay. means that you will see things out in space in or around the craft moving off the, uh, the, the, the Earth or towards the Earth or on the moon or in some future time on some other planet. But very few of us have, can get that position of being an astronaut or cosmonaut. CE7 is in some ways an extension of a CE5. And what it is is when you meditate and you remote view and you see something uh, of an event, if more than two people, two or more people have the same remote view, then it's probably genuine information. And if a literal physical event from that remote view 
unfolds, then you know that that was uh, genuine communications between humans and ET, that the ETs wanted us to know something. I've experienced that. And so has one other person who literally uh, was a lady. She said, I had exactly the same remote view, the location, the ET craft, et cetera, et cetera. And she was almost in tears because she, she couldn't believe what she was saying, but also hearing it from another person. So that's a CE7, and anybody can experience that. But an actual event has to unfold. So I, I've coined that. They're in my first volume. Now, the thing is that anybody can communicate with ETs. Uh, I know you had a guest on who talked about uh, high-powered uh, antennas broadcasting out into space, bouncing the signal off the moon and throughout the rest of uh, the solar system. Anything like that will broadcast. SETI's been doing it for years with their big uh, radio telescopes. If they had uh, sent a successful signal and got a successful signal, they would have told us by now. The interesting thing is, if I send out a broadcast signal, like beeps and tones through a 40-watt walkie-talkie, when they communicate, they won't necessarily communicate back in that walkie-talkie, but I have a magnetometer that will start to beep, and it will beep uh, either erratically, incessantly, or in, a, in uh, an intelligent three-tone sequence. So I could say something like, um, there are ETs in the solar system, and we go beep, beep, beep to acknowledge what I said. I'll say something else. And it will beep, 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 beep. And in other words, it's like uh, true or false, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and that's how it's coming across. And other people in the group said, "My God, you know, they're they're talking to us. They're communicating with us." Uh, I had my magnetometer go, magnetometer go off for three hours, and half of that time it was audible and I had to switch it into mute because it was just making so much racket that uh, it, it, we couldn't um, keep up with it. So it was an acknowledgement. They're here, they're communicating, they're interacting with us. Anybody can do that. Uh, I know that when you have a walkie-talkie, sometimes they, they will communicate with that, but they can communicate with anything. They can interface with any of our technology. The fact that they go over nuclear weapons sites and can uh, uh, take the launch codes off the system proves that they have that ability. What are they saying? This is a beautiful planet, maybe a very rare planet in this sector of the galaxy. We don't want you to destroy it. Yeah. You know, uh, and you're willing to. Uh, Build all these uh, mass, uh, these weapons of mass destruction uh, is really not what it's all about. The, the moment we started detonating nuclear weapons, that's when the red flags went up. That's when they came in and said, what the hell is going on here? Because when you let off a nuclear device, it's not just a physical explosion that we, of light and, and uh, uh, repercussion sound and all the rest of it. It's rippling through the universe on many different levels. And it's affecting life that perhaps interdimensional, uh, celestial, or whatever, you know, in that form. And it's, it's painful. And so they have to find out what's going on. That's probably why they're here, besides looking at us as an, uh, as a, uh, an emerging intelligent species. Mm -hmm. My wife says to me, so you guys go out, <laughs> you're trying to call down the ETs. They took one look at you and decided to bugger off because there's no intelligence here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's she's probably more right than the, most of us even recognize. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Wow. We'll have to like uh, talk a little bit more about your books. We'll have to shut yeah. it down. Adam. Maybe we'll do another one next week. We can do a, a second I can, version. I can do that. And you can send me maybe, say, five or six talking points in terms of... Um, what you'd like to talk about. Like we should talk about, we're both Canadians. We should talk about the Canadian aspect of what you've learned from the, the Canadian thing to put out to Canadians. 
and uh, more of the the issue of of what we're dealing with in terms of it's a little more complex. I think you and I would agree that it's not as easy as simple as people think it is. It, the more you look at it, the more complex it gets, and the more you you get dragged into this. So talk a little bit for the last little couple minutes about your books and and how they've they've turned and how many how many you've gotten when you first started publishing these books and maybe give me one for um i'm going to put this maybe send me the audio as well and i'll put it on my uh, my my podcast as well and send me the cover of the first book and we'll use that as the the thumbnail so people can, yeah. can follow up on your work i i can certainly do that let me just say these books are available only online. They're like a university textbook. Uh, I try to provide the best available information that I could find on this topic. I don't use a lot of conjecture or speculation. Uh, I look for at least three or four good sources that talk about one point in particular. If I feel that the source is reliable, I use it. All of the books are reference. They're color-coded. So that uh, blue uh, referencing is from the internet. Red is from books. Uh, green is a videography that, uh, uh, that you can uh, get off of uh, YouTube and other places on the internet. Uh, purple and, and other colors all give references. All the text is referenced. All the photographs I use are referenced. These books have hundreds and hundreds of colored photographs in them. And it's really a feast for the eyes because now you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can go to the exact places that I have been to find this information. The thing about this is that uh, these are very comprehensive. They're very definitive and they're conclusive. So I try to put this all together into a big picture. A lot of times I will pick up books, like most of my books will be some aspect of the UFO phenomenon. My six volumes, and I've already really scratched the surface of this, are uh, covering all the various things that you want to know about the UFO phenomenon. The first volume will give you most of what you should need to know about the UFO and ET phenomena. The others take you deeper down the rabbit hole. The, the thing about this is that um, you, you, the books are, are, are sort of, if you were doing a, a university course on this, and I have approached the universities on this, and they said, well, we, we only take a, a week or two to, to talk about this, and then we move on, particularly, particularly if it's an astronomy class. Uh, and I, we don't have anybody who teaches it. I said, well, I could teach it if you want. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know what's in the book. But you can get this from uh, Indigo, Chapters, uh, Barnes & Noble, Am Amazon. Uh, you have to go online to look for it. They are a university-type price, unfortunately. I'm working on ways to try and get that cost reduced. Uh, but they do sell. I've sold them in uh, Britain, uh, Germany, states in Canada. I've given some away, as I say, to Japan and Israel. I'm trying to get the word out. Even if I'm not successful as an author, I want the word out. Yeah, uh, that's the point, sure. And, and that's the whole point. And so uh, the, all the other volumes, like when we get into um, volume three, we're talking about... Uh, various nations that have UFO programs that are, or uh, flying saucer programs where they're building these things. Germans in particular, U.S. Uh, to some degree, uh, because we don't know there's a lot of secrecy behind all of that. Canada, Britain, France, other countries. Uh, when you go down further in, like in volumes four and five, we're talking about life in the uh, solar system. We spend a good portion of it on Mars I found all kinds of stuff on Mars. Uh, technology, uh, life forms, humanoid life forms uh, that are at least 10 feet tall. If you know anything about uh, Project Stargate and Bruce, uh, no, uh, Joe McGonagall, he had a remote view of very tall aliens on Mars. We found them. Wow. We found them. Not just me, somebody else has found a second one. So we yeah. can confirm that this has and may still have intelligent life. There are UFOs that lift off the ground and fly off from Mars, as well as around Mars. 
Okay. You know, pyramids, et cetera, et cetera. So these are the kinds of things that are in the books. I talk about uh, cloning and hybridization, DNA uh, manipulation, the construction of programmable life forms, which look like greys, but are not greys. They're robotic or cybernetic organisms that are used wow. by the military. Wow. And, and how, how would people contact you if they want to... Um contact you to ask questions or to uh, get a contact on the book or whatever? How, how would they contact you? The best uh, source uh, would be uh, terrytobando at gmail.com. So that's T-E-R-R-Y-T-I-B-A-N-D-O at gmail.com. All one word. And uh, that's the best place because that's where I, I receive a lot of information from various groups and, and all the rest of it. Um, they can go to Facebook and look at um, CSETI Vancouver, which has a lot of my information that I have in the books, not all of it, uh, but there's photographs there of uh, stuff that I found on Mars, other stories, my own personal thoughts, etc. And I try to be rational about this. Uh, it's easy to jump on all the new things that come out and that wild speculation. I know ancient aliens is famous yeah. for that. It's what I call docu-entertainment. Docu <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but they're making money. <laughs> they're making money. I'm not, but they're making money. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You got it. Yeah. So there you are. Uh, Wonderful. And we, and we can do another session. Uh, just send me some, some talking points and we'll... We'll do another one, and we'll try to get because you're you're on the you're on the mark. You're doing the work, and uh, you should be rewarded in terms of helping get your message out. And I'll do what I can. Well, to it's, it's not on. just my message; it's the message, yeah, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, we're and we're we're both. There's not many researchers in Canada, so we'll we'll have to carry we'll support the, each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll support each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, wonderful, sure. Terry. Thank you for your your time today. And I'll get my inner, my Zoom fixed. I I think it was because I changed. Uh, I, I had a new YouTube channel I set up. And I think that's what messed the whole thing up. So yeah, I've had to... several problems, and I made sure I had my audio working this time. But then I wasn't expecting your yeah problem. Wow. So beautiful. So send me the uh, if you use WeTransfer, whatever you use, send me a, yeah. a video and an audio, and I'll put them both on the video and the my podcast, which gets quite a few listeners. And we'll we'll go from there. Maybe after the 9th of October, I can maybe uh, do another session, and we'll maybe even do a third session because you you have a lot of information. I've got a lot of information. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks, Thank Grant. You. I really appreciate it. Beautiful. Thank you. It's a long, long time. We, we've been trying to plan this for a long time and finally got it done. I know. And yeah. I, I'm glad we did because you're a very, very resourceful guy and you've got a lot of information I think uh, people need to hear. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Namaste. Namaste. Okay. Great. So, um, okay. So I'm just going to make sure I've got that. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.